Welcome to Nigerian American. My name is LD. This is my podcast. The year was 1989. It was a regular evening in Kaduna, calm and serene as usual. I was home watching TV right after dinner with my sisters, Tokbe, Lara, and Lola. Lola, my youngest sister, was about three years old at the time. Lara was five, Tokbe was seven. I was 11 years old. It was part of our regular routine at the time to watch some TV right after dinner as we got ready to go to bed in preparation for school the next day. Sometimes we would fall asleep watching TV and my mom would have to pick my sisters up one by one and put them in bed. I was almost as tall as she was at the time, so lifting me up was out of the question. All I got was a gentle tap to get up and go. My dad didn't live with us. He spent a lot of time across the country working as a field engineer and would stop by to see us for a few days at a time, every couple of weeks, or sometimes his visits were actually months apart. At the time, we lived in a four-bedroom house. It was a bungalow, or what is called a ranch-style home in the U.S. My parents had one bedroom. I had one bedroom. We kept one room open in case we had guests. And my three little sisters, they shared one bedroom. My mom and my sister's rooms were on the right side of the house, and they shared a common hallway, which is accessible from the living room. My room was directly accessible from the living room, but was on the left side of the house. So basically, to get to my room from the hallway that led to my mom and my sister's rooms, you had to walk across the living room from the right side of the house to the left side of the house. The guest room was also accessible from the dining area of the living room. There were only two access points from outside of the house. It was either through the front entrance, which lands you smack in the living room, or through the kitchen exit, which opens up into the fenced backyard. The front of the house opened up to a driveway slash parking area, and it was directly accessible from the street. Typically, our cars were parked right in front of the house in that area, or in the back of the house, through a gated entrance to the backyard. There were three identical houses that shared our backyard. Two were accessible via the living room entrance from the parking areas up front, but you had to enter the backyard to access the third house. On that particular night, My mom had just finished doing the dishes and was telling me to make sure my school uniform was ready for school the next day. She warned me about making sure I was ready and not running around like a headless chicken the next morning looking for my favorite socks or anything that would make her late for work. The longer I took to get ready in the mornings, the likely it was for her to be late for work because she needed to drop us off at school first. Our morning routine was simple. She would get my sisters ready while I showered and got ready myself. And about 7.30 a.m., she'd put us all in the car and drive out of the house. We dropped off Lola a street away from our house with our family friends, the Sanusis, because she attended the same school as their kids, and they went in opposite directions as us in the mornings. Then, my mom would drive my sisters and I north of the city to drop us off at our various schools, before she headed back south of the city to her office. She was an operations manager at a bank called Société Générale. It was a French bank that was quite popular in Nigeria back then. At about 12.30 every day, my mom sends her official driver to pick up my sisters. The drivers would take them back to my mom's office, where they hung out till about 2 p.m. when it was time to pick me up. 
The driver would then come back and get me from school with my sisters in the car, and after picking me up, he would drop us all off at home before returning to my mom's office. My sisters and I typically hung out at home for a couple of hours until my mom returned from work. On her way back from the office, she'd stop by to pick up Lola from the Sanusis. When she arrives from work, she made dinner, we hung out, we ate, and then we went to bed around 8 or 9 p.m. That was kind of the typical routine. On certain days, the driver would take me back to her office and we would all hang out at her office till it was time to go home. It all depended on how late she thought she may be at work. I have fun memories hanging out at her office. Lots of goodies. I remember her colleagues sneaking us candy and all sorts. Anyway, we had a pretty regular routine and it worked well for my mom's busy schedule. Now back to the story. On that night, as we were winding down after dinner, my mom reminded me to make sure I was ready for school the next day and to be sure everything I needed was intact. This was not a regular preparation and it was somewhat of a special occasion because I had recently been admitted to one of the most prestigious schools at the time, Essence International School. And the next day was my first day at my new school. I was super excited and I was so anxious that I had already prepped my school uniform, my brand new book bag, my underwear, my brand new fresh British Knight sneakers, otherwise known as BKs. BKs and LA gear sneakers were fashion statements back then and I couldn't wait to resume at my new school and show off my spanking new kicks. Anyway, I laid out all my school stuff by the ironing board in my room and I was all set and ready for the next day. That night was unusually cold, and houses in Nigeria typically don't have heating systems. The weather stays between lows of about 65 degrees Fahrenheit in the coldest regions and highs of about 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the warmer regions, so the best you can do in the cooler periods is cover up and try to stay warm. Heat is a bigger concern for most people, so you'd find cooling ACs in most Nigerian homes. I've never actually seen one with a heating system. My sister's room was colder than all of the other rooms in the house, and whenever it got really cold, my mom would pull out the king-sized guest room mattress for them to either sleep in her room or mine. On that particular night, she decided to have them sleep in my room. The mattress was laid out on the floor right next to my bed, and all of my three sisters lay down and slept off on it. I couldn't sleep for some reason. I think I may have been too anxious, the anxiety of going to a new school the next day or something. I wasn't particularly doing anything but just staring at the ceiling in my room, but I couldn't really sleep. I would drift into sleep for a few minutes, but any small sound would wake me up, even the sound of my sister's breathing. A few hours after we went to bed, I heard what sounded like a truck pulling up in front of our house. We didn't live in a busy neighborhood, and it was quite unusual for large vehicles to be driving through our neighborhood, especially at that time of the night. I wondered what it was for a moment, but I couldn't be bothered to get up and check. A few moments later, I heard some hasty footsteps. It sounded like the footsteps were coming across the driveway in front of our house, towards the front door. Because I was starting to drift in and out of sleep, I wasn't sure if I was really hearing that or if it was just my imagination. A few moments after that, I heard a very loud bang, and then I heard glass shatter. The sound was definitely coming from our house. The banging continued and I could tell the sound was from our living room. So I jumped out of bed in panic. 
Then I heard what sounded like the glass window of my mom's room also shattered. My heart started racing. I was in shock, still trying to understand what was going on, but I suspected my room window might be next. So I woke up my little sisters as quickly as I could, and I moved them away from the side of the bed that was close to the window. As soon as I moved my sister Tokwe, I heard the bang of someone striking the window of my room with a metal. The window shattered, and all of the glass, in small and large pieces, rained down on the mattress. I saw a big piece of glass pierce through the mattress at the exact spot where my sister Tope's head was just a moment before I moved her. It made me panic even more. I grabbed all three of my sisters and moved them to the corner of my room that was furthest away from the window. They started crying when they realized that we may have been under some kind of attack. Then I heard my mom running across the living room and screaming out through the dining room windows that faced two immediate neighbors that shared our backyard. The entire time, there were loud banging sounds and aggressive sounds of hacksaws cutting through the half-inch thick metal burglar proof that protected the doors and windows of our living room. They had shattered most of the glass and were successfully cutting their way through. It wasn't until I heard my mom scream out those words, armed robbers, that I finally had clarity on what was going on. We were being robbed. I pushed my sisters into the corner and told them to stay right there and walk towards the door of my room. I hesitated a bit before opening the door because I wasn't sure of what was on the other side of the door. I figured I couldn't just wait in the room and that I needed to go and try and help my mom or try to see if there was a way to prevent the armed men from getting in. I finally mustered enough courage to open my room door. I looked out and noticed there were four men cutting through the front doors and the windows that led into the house, and about seven more armed men waiting behind them to make their way in. Some of the men began to make announcements to the neighbors across the street. I could hear them. If you come out, we will shoot you. Stay in your house. You hear me? Stay in your house. If you come out, we will shoot you. Some of the men that were trying to force their way through the front door were also yelling at my mom. Open this door. Open this door right now. Open this door. If you don't open this door and we come inside, we will kill you and your children. Open this door right now. It was all happening really fast. I felt helpless. At that moment, I wish we had a gun or something in the house that I could have used to stop the men or prevent them from coming in somehow. But we didn't have a gun. The only available weapon in the house must have been kitchen knives or something. My mom noticed me trying to come out of the room and told me to get back in my room and lock the door as she continued to scream out for help from the neighbors. I couldn't leave her out there by herself, so I refused to go back in. But I couldn't really do anything. I just stood there. I looked to my right and I saw this dangerous man trying to get into her house. And I looked to my left at my helpless mom. She was just screaming at the top of her lungs. Very quickly, I came to the realization that there wasn't really much we could do. I noticed her run to our home phone at one point, but she picked it up and it seemed like she didn't hear a dial tone. So she hung up and she just kept yelling. About a minute or two passed and there was clearly nothing we could do to stop the intruders from getting in. 
They were also cutting through the last piece of metal at the window and trying to bend it backwards in order to make their way into the house. It became clear to my mom and I that they would be inside of the house any moment. So she ran towards me, shoved me back into my room where all my sisters were, and then she locked the door behind her and tried to put her weight behind the door. I joined her. We tried to hold the door from being kicked open. My little sisters, visibly traumatized by all the chaos, were just crying, and they were just standing helplessly in the corner of the room where I had left them. When we ran into the room and tried to use our body weights to hold the door, they also joined us. It was heartbreaking. I was the man of the house, and I couldn't do anything to protect my family. What felt like 30 seconds passed. I could hear the men already inside the house, and some of them started banging on my room door and yelling at us to open up. They started hitting the door with clubs and trying to kick it open, but my mom, sisters, and I held on. As we struggled to keep them out, I realized that they could decide to shoot through the door at any moment. I continued to hold on, but I think my mom also thought of the same thing. We both kept holding on, but we told my sisters to go back into the corner they were. They did. Eventually, we were overpowered by the men, shoving, banging, and kicking at the door. I looked at my mom. She looked back at me. I saw fear in her eyes. We both realized it was only a matter of time now before the intruders came inside. A couple of men threw themselves forcefully at the door and it pushed my mom and I back and the door swung open. Three men came into the room. One of them had a pistol. The other two had machetes. As they walked in, my mom shoved me behind herself and pushed me back towards the corner that my sisters were. She used herself as a shield for all four of us, with her arms spread out and holding us behind her as she pushed us back towards the wall. Then she started begging the men, please, please take anything you want. Please don't hurt us. Just take whatever you want, please. They all had masks on, but I could see their eyes. They seemed like really bad people. They looked vicious. The man with the pistol seemed to be the coordinator. Shut up! He said to my mom in a very scary tone, Lie down there. Lie down there. Lie down there. As he pointed at the mattress my sisters had slept on, but in the most gentle yet assertive manner, I said to him, There's glass there. Please, there's glass on the mattress. My mom didn't move. She had already started losing her voice from screaming at this point. I could also tell she was losing energy. She continued crying, and she continued begging the men. Please, please, sir, please, I'm begging you in the name of God. Please take anything you want. Please, just leave us alone. Please don't hurt us. Behind the three men in the room and through the open door, I could see a bunch of the others rifling through the house and carrying things. I saw them hauling off our TVs, our home theater system, all portable electronics, and a bunch of other stuff. The three men kept threatening us. One of them grabbed my mom's hand and tried to force her onto the mattress, but she kept resisting and begging. One of the men outside then made a whistling signal. As soon as they heard the whistle, the men looked at one another as if it was time to leave. 
Then one of them started looking around my room for a last minute grab. He eventually noticed and grabbed my BKs and my book bag. I had never been this afraid in my life, but something in me couldn't imagine losing those sneakers. So in a split second, I found some courage and I said to the leader, please, my school bag, my school shoes. I thought I could appeal to him even though everything else suggested that they could kill us at any moment. Maybe it was the tone of my voice or the honesty behind it, but somehow I got to him and he insisted that his partner drop my shoes in my book bag. He dropped them. Moments later, the leader said to us, Stay right here. If you say anything to anybody, we will come back and we will kill all of you. You hear me? And then the three men exited my room. I heard them all exit the house, leaving through the window that they used to come in. And I heard the truck driving away. After they left, my sisters were crying. My mom was crying. But I couldn't cry. I was cold, shivering. My hands were trembling. As soon as my mom confirmed they were gone, she turned around and she hugged all of us and kept saying, God, I thank you. Thank you. A few moments passed and I broke out of the hug and walked through my room door to the living room. My hands were still shaking. There was broken glass everywhere. There were muddy footprints all over the house. I could feel the cold air coming in through the now wide open and glassless window that they came in through. I looked around and I noticed many missing items, including the VCR, our TV, and a bunch of other things. I'd never felt so helpless in my life. It was a truly horrible feeling. Then I started to think, maybe if my dad was around, but I caught myself in that thought and imagined that it may have been a worse outcome if he had been home. Knowing my dad, he would have definitely put up some type of resistance, banking on some support from the neighbors, support which never came. Who knows what the story could have been if he had been home and the same thing had happened. Anyway, about 20 minutes after they left, our neighbors showed up, one after the other. I couldn't hide my disappointment. I refused to respond to any of their questions. I was upset about the fact that they left us to our fate, especially my immediate neighbor who knew very well that my dad wasn't around and could have done something to protect us. He is the Baba AB my mom was calling out for, but he never came. Here he was, now asking what sounded to me at the time like foolish questions. Did, did you see their face? Can, can you recognize them? My other neighbor was telling everyone not to touch anything. Ha! Don't, don't touch anything. Maybe the police can investigate. Hey, don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Leave it. Leave it like that. Just don't, don't touch anything. Nobody should touch anything. I was only 11, but smart enough to know that the forensics department of the Nigerian police was not that sophisticated. It wasn't like they were going to show up and start collecting fingerprints. Eventually, we decided to clear up the mess the intruders made. All the shattered glass, all the debris. And as we were tidying up, the police showed up. Apparently, my mom had called them from her bedroom landline extension. 
as soon as she heard the first noise. And right before the initial banging began, the living room phone was actually working, but she thinks she didn't hear a tone when I saw her pick it up because she may have tripped the wire while running back and forth and trying to get a hold of the neighbors. The entire ordeal lasted about 20 to 30 minutes, even though it felt like hours. My mom was a bank operations manager. She had the most reliable phone numbers to the police department. Yet, the police didn't show up to save us. They arrived over an hour after she called them. The most senior police officer called me to the side and asked me, Can you remember any of them? Same question Baba Abi was asking me earlier. I told him they were wearing masks, so I didn't recognize them. And then, almost like some sort of epiphany, I remembered that a few days earlier, a man had come knocking on the front door. I was home alone with my sisters as usual. My mom's driver had just dropped us off, and we were at home waiting for her to return from her office. It was about 4.30pm when I heard the knock. I asked who it was, peeped through the window to see the person, and asked what he wanted. My sisters and I had been warned by my mom to never open the doors to strangers. So I peeped through the window and said, Yes? yes. Who's, there? Who's, there? Who's there? I saw a tall man wearing what looked like a police uniform, except he had a sweater on, so I couldn't see his badge or name tag or anything like that. I could see his collar, though, and the pants he wore. But most importantly, I saw that he was wearing combat boots. Then he asked me, is your mommy home? I said, no. Then he asked, how about your dad? I said, no, he's not around. And then he asked, what time is your mommy coming back? And then I said, 6 p.m. But before I could ask any other questions, he started walking away. As he walked away, I asked, excuse me, excuse me, what's your name? But he didn't respond. He just walked away. I must have told my mom, even though she didn't remember when I reminded her. When the senior police officer started asking me questions about what I saw, I remember that piece of information, and I told him about it. However, as I was telling him the story, I realized that I may as well be speaking about one of his men. So I left out the bit about noticing that it was a man dressed up as a police officer that came over asking those questions. I wasn't sure if he was the helper or the villain at that moment. So I simply stopped talking and I stopped giving any further details. In the usual Nigerian fashion, the police that came looked around for a few minutes, collected our phone number, no fingerprint collection, no photos of the crime scene, nothing. They just said, we shall investigate this matter. And they left. That was the last time anyone from the authorities ever talked about that episode. That was pretty much it. After all the smoke cleared, Baba Abi apologized to my mom and told her that he had heard her calling for his help, but that his wife wouldn't let him come out or do anything. So did our neighbors across the street. Our neighbor across the street even suggested that there were over 20 men in total that came to rob us and that some of them were positioned almost military style around the house and on the street while the operation took place. 
He lived in a two-story building across the street and was watching it all happen from his apartment. He couldn't do anything. After that horrible episode, we all started sleeping in my mom's room. I slept there for months. My sisters probably slept there for many more years. There were many nightmares that followed. I don't think I've ever fully recovered from that episode. I don't think anyone ever really does. Now, I'm not suggesting that the people who robbed us were policemen. I don't know that for sure. But some policemen have been caught over the years in Nigeria for alleged robberies and kidnappings. It is very possible that the man that came knocking that day was only wearing a police uniform, but wasn't really a policeman. One thing that I did notice on the day of the robbery, though, was that some of the men who came into our house, at least about three of the men that I saw, including the one that held us down at gunpoint, were all wearing similar combat boots. Nobody was ever caught for the robbery. We didn't recover any of our stuff. And we were living in absolute paranoia for years to come. It was the second time we had had intruders attempt to break into our house. My mom successfully kept them out the first time at our previous residence. I remember it was shortly after my sister Lola was born, a few years earlier. It was a rainy night, and my mom had just boiled some water to put in the hot water flask for my sister Lola's baby food before bedtime. We started hearing some cutting noises at one of our living room windows. There were a couple of burglars attempting to cut through the burglar-proof rods in order to gain access into the house. It was raining outside, so it was really loud outside, so they couldn't hear us. But we could hear them, and we could see them clearly from the inside because it was dark on the inside. My mom waited for the first person to stick his head through the cutout rods and she poured the boiling hot water on his head. It was so unexpected that he screamed and poked himself in the head and shoulders on the cut rods as he struggled to get out. He and the rest of the gang took off running. We tell that story and laugh about it often. The second time wasn't quite as funny. I felt truly violated by that experience. I don't wish it upon anyone. Over the years, many people I know, friends, neighbors and such, got robbed or attacked. The fear of being robbed stayed with me most of my life while I lived in Nigeria, especially after I became a popular musician. I was constantly living in fear. My situational awareness became so strong that I was always in a state of paranoia. I feared for my life and that of my loved ones, and with good reason. I know too many people who were robbed the same way we were. Some of those ended really badly. I know of people's wives or daughters who were raped. Or in other cases, they were killed. Home invasions and kidnappings are not uncommon in Nigeria. It is the one fear that everyone constantly has and the top security concern of most families. Compared to life in suburban America, it almost feels like you're living in a war zone. After food and shelter, the number one concern of every Nigerian is surviving the lack of adequate safety and security. 
the rich hire armed security personnel just to get their kids to school and back. Armed military police escorts are a normal part of life for those who can afford it. Not because they wish to show off, but because there is a real and imminent threat of robbery, kidnapping, or assassination. Most homes are fenced off from neighbors and street access in Nigeria, primarily because of armed robbery. The fences are usually built of cinder blocks and up to about eight or nine feet tall. Those who can afford to also install barbed wire or electric fencing at the top of the cinder blocks to prevent easy climbing access by intruders who may sometimes show up with ladders. This wasn't always the case. When I was growing up in the early 80s, Nigerian homes rarely had fences. And if they did, it was a low fence to keep pets and kids from crossing over into the streets when they're playing around unsupervised. The average Nigerian neighborhood has homes that are fenced off today. All doors and windows have to be reinforced with steel bars that are sometimes up to an inch thick and spread out no wider than 12 inches apart. Bulletproof doors are a standard requirement as well. Basically, the average Nigerian home is a self-built prison and a serious fire hazard. Many lives have been lost to the inability of families to escape from burning buildings because of the burglar-proof systems. Over the years, armed intruders have also become more intelligent and usually try to gain access to homes when a door or a gate is open, or they wait for the perfect opportunity to hold the homeowner or residents at gunpoint from outside as a way to gain access. I do hear from some reliable sources that the Nigerian police has gotten a lot better over the past few years at responding to and dealing with crime, but it remains one of the top reasons that many people who have the option to live elsewhere are hesitant about staying in Nigeria. In human societies, safety, security, and justice are the most important basic needs after food and shelter. Shortfalls in safety, security, and justice contribute significantly to both poverty and underdevelopment and should be seen as moral rights and intrinsic to development by any serious government. The safer people feel, the less time they spend trying to stay alive and consequently, the more time they spend being productive. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nigerian American. Please feel free to subscribe and share this podcast. You may reach us by our email, NigerianAmericanPodcast at gmail.com. My name is LD. Thank you.